0: Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of This is Just a Phase. I'm your host, Jonathan Kent. Just a few quick reminders before we get started with this episode. I want to remind everybody that not only can you listen to the podcast on Spotify, but you also can listen to us on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM. If you're on Facebook, please do yourself a favor and check out the This Is Just A Phase Facebook group for updates on current and past episodes, touring schedules from bands being featured, merch opportunities, the occasional music video, and so much more. I'm also on TikTok at T-I-J-A-P Podcast. We do some uh, stuff up on there, um, but not as much as we do on the Facebook and uh, to remind everybody, the Instagram account, uh, JonathanKent.311, is no longer being used by me. I was hacked a few uh, months ago. Uh, that being said, um, if you're into uh, great underground punk rock, uh, please do yourself a favor and check out this is just a record label, dot It's a label that I run with my good friend, Mike Rotemoyer, And we have uh, great releases by the Prozacs, the Plan Bs. Gatlin, letters, and two amazing compilations. So, again, please check that out at this is just a record label.bandcamp.com. That being said, Jay, let's go.
1: And you've got no self-esteem. There's a hole inside your head with no fury to be seen. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Every day, you wake up with the same horror
0: On this fun episode, I get to sit down and chat with Joe and Nick from the Baltimore, Maryland, pop punk slash power pop band, TV Thief. We chat about their brand new EP, Victory Lap, as well as discuss influences, how they record themselves with a home studio, the members playing with other bands, the Baltimore scene in general, and Nick's ordeal trying to learn drums in his school band. Nick also shares a funny story about a band breaking up live on stage, the complexity of staying digital versus selling physical copies, and a whole lot more. So sit back and relax with this episode of This Is Just a Phase. Here's the lead-off track from their brand-new EP Victory Lap called Night after night. I'm sitting here chatting, uh, with Nick and Joe from the Baltimore, Maryland punk band TV thief. Um, punk is kind of a, a too much of a generic term for this band. Uh, they combine a lot of different influences, uh, outside of punk, as well as, uh, indie rock, uh, space rock, and, um, a, a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, Really uh and really happy to have you guys both on here. Uh, and I appreciate you taking the time out.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us.
0: No, you're very welcome. Um, I wanted to start off saying I've been listening to your your brand new EP, uh Victory Lap, like on repeat. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's I've been I've been going to the I've been going to the band camp all the time listening to it. It's it's an amazing EP, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, now, how you guys came on the right radar is that I had just recently uh, made a uh, a TikTok page uh, for the podcast, and Joe, you had you had contacted me. Yeah, and you know we started talking and and, and stuff, and we realized we had we had mutual people in common. Uh, the guys from our brains hurt.
3: Yeah, yeah, Uh, the Snubbed Records dudes and all of them.
0: Yeah, Savage Remains, and yeah. Um, Yeah, so we started chatting and stuff, and then I I checked out your band. And um, uh, Joe, you play bass, and Nick, you're the lead vocalist and drummer.
2: Yeah, so um, on the recordings, um, I've played drums on uh, all except for Space Truck, uh, okay, yeah, that's right. The first EP, it was uh, me doing drums because we were kind of just figuring out how we we're gonna do it. But yeah, live, um, I do the just the vocals because I don't know if I could handle doing both the drum parts and the vocals at the same time.
0: Oh, so you're not you're not you're not trying to do like a Phil Collins or like a Don Henley or something?
2: No, I think uh, you know their drum parts aren't as uh, intricate. I mean, not that they're intricate, these ones, but they're a lot faster, and I think I would just run out of breath.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I totally, I totally understand. Now, do you guys kind of rotate drummers in and out as you guys do shows?
2: Yeah, so uh, far I think we've done two shows, right?
3: I mean, yeah, we had a different drummer at each one. Oh, really? You guys only played two shows?
2: Yeah, I mean, we've played with obviously other bands, but for this particular band, just because I think COVID kind of ruined.
0: Okay, did you, I was I was gonna ask you: Did you guys form because of COVID, or were things slowed down for you because of COVID?
2: Well, yeah, I think it. I think COVID just prevented us from doing the shows, like right out of the gate, right after we started.
0: Okay, Um yeah, uh, let's let's dig it and, and and talk about Victory Lap, which like like I said, I've been listening to um, a lot, and I kind of break down each song as into like what I think of it. Um, the album starts out night after night, which I don't know, I don't know how old you guys are, but what I could tell right off the gate is you definitely have, um, you probably either raided your older cousins or your parents' record collection because <laughs> I hear a lot of like uh, like 90s influence in a lot of your stuff, yeah, definitely.
3: yeah, yeah. Um, older brother gave me a Nirvana CD when I was like 12 and that changed my life so yeah <laughs> <laughs> now were you guys in? did you guys because
0: of Nirvana did you guys uh, like what were some of the bands you were you were you were getting influenced by
3: well mm,
4: that's, n- that's
2: a good question. I don't want to
3: speak for Nick because he was writing this stuff but I know Nick's been showing me a lot of like mid late nineties stuff. I know uh the refreshments was uh, something Nick turned me on to just in the last couple of years that I really, really love.
2: Yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big Everclear fan.
3: Nice. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a fan of
2: I think uh you know I was listening to a lot of Super Chunk. I think probably when that stuff was written. So I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm, of course. I mean that that stuff is just it just has the sound that i really like it's just such an authentic rock sound that i'm not saying that i could ever emulate it in any way but that's that's definitely the kind of stuff i was listening to when i was writing these particular songs
0: yeah and you can kind of
2: tell that right off the bat with night after night like i
0: get that fuzz out kind of a spacey or kind of a sound um uh, I, w- I, w- I would say, like, borderline, like, a lot of your stuff has that power pop quality to it, like, um, like Weezer, Fountains of Wayne. Um, you mentioned the refreshments. Um, also, super chunk stuff like that. So, like, you guys definitely, you guys definitely have a feel that you're definitely pulling from, you know, older bands. Um, the standout track for me on the album is the, the second track, I Don't Like You. <laughs> which i could only describe as weezer meets pixies
2: yeah
3: that's yeah that sounds like exactly uh what jason was going for <laughs> yeah
2: jason okay. wrote that song and and jason um definitely pulls a lot from the pixies
0: okay i um, i just i really like that song a lot
2: that yeah, could be like I, your maybe, single <laughs> yeah i'll maybe i could send you the the version with his vocals <laughs> oh, it totally be cool. changes the mood on it because he wrote it. So that's the only way that I learned them. Uh, if he writes a song, uh, you know, he sings it and then I record it so that I can listen to it a bunch and then figure out how it goes. did a we actually did a, a version that had his vocals first because the first time i ever heard it was when we went to go record it
0: oh wow
2: um so we had plenty of time we're just recording it in my basement so
0: Oh, okay that's where you record at is in your basement
2: yep yeah both oh. of those eps were done uh in my basement
0: i was gonna say really good quality for being a basement recording
2: yeah thanks that's I'm your wife. that's the goal
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i mean more authenticity over quality i guess quote unquote but it's just one of those things with the process of recording i remember doing recordings where you're paying by the hour and you're like all right we're gonna do it in two days you know like
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: joe's very familiar with that but
3: oh yeah
2: you know we'll do it we'll like you know we'll really bang them out it'll be like all the whole record of songs and you do it in like a weekend and then go back and listen to it. And you're like, man, I think I could have probably done that a little better or, you know, Mm -hmm. or as a vocalist, you know, you're doing a bunch of songs in one day. And, you know, depending on how many times you have to do them, you could be trying to sing all day. And then by the end of the day, you're not really, not really at your best. Mm -hmm. And then some days you're just not feeling it. So then you just, you want to be like, all right, I'll come back to it tomorrow
0: where you end up spending like 12 times recording it. And you're just like, you end up going back to the first or second recording
2: anyways. And you're like,
0: that was the perfect one anyways.
2: Yeah. Or yeah. Well, we wouldn't have had any more time. We would have just, we would have blown all the money on the recording time. And then that was the time. So
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's no
2: more. So you just have to accept the problem I had was like accepting the, the takes. I think if I had time to work on it, like, If I was doing a song in a day, Mm
4: -hmm. then,
2: you know, you could really feel out that song. And then the other thing is like, if if you're in the, if we're recording here in the basement, what I love so much about doing that is like, yeah, I'm setting everything up and it's a lot of work to like mix it afterwards, but we have so much time, like we're not pressed to do anything really. You know, Mm -hmm. if we end up not liking a song, there was a song that was supposed to be on Victory Lap that. I ended up cutting just because it was, I I don't know what was going on with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. It
4: just wasn't gelling.
2: Yeah. It just, I don't know what it is about the takes, but we could definitely do it better than that. So I didn't want to put it out. So I just left it and then just pulled it off there. Like we're not pressed by any, anybody to, to do anything. So. If we want to have a five song ep then we have a five song ep if we want to have six then if six are ready then we'll put them on there
0: <laughs> exactly it's like you're not you're not really and plus it it, it doesn't seem like you guys are dealing with a, with a label nope. so you nope. don't have that extra extra pressure on yourself you can just like you know we'll put out what we want to you know we'll put we'll make it available how we want to make it available for it and then it's out there in ether
2: yeah and the and the timing I mean There's no rush on like, oh, we got to release it on this date,
4: Mm.
2: and that's proven by you know, when did this? When did Victory Lap come out? Because I think I, I think it was kind of funny because I sent it to Jason. Like,
0: wasn't it early September? Like September, uh, late September, late Uh, September, September
2: September thirtieth, right, Joe? Because I don't, I mean, I don't remember exactly the day, but I had sent it to Jason probably five months before that
0: oh really yeah i didn't, yeah, I didn't change 3rd.
2: anything on it well so we have like a we have like a shared drive that we share files in like if i do a uh like a draft or a, you know like a rough cut of something and we put it in the drive and then he was like oh put it in the drive and i'll upload it and i put it in there and i didn't hear anything and then it was like you know, but that goes back to the no pressure. I'm like, well, I guess he's, you know, maybe he's working on it. Maybe he's not. I don't know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just kind of waited out. so yeah. speak, right?
2: <laughs> not that big of a deal. I mean, would... if he wants to put it out in September, then put it out in September.
0: <laughs> um, I just want to wrap up the, the next couple songs. Shake Apart, Space Truck, and Shit Simple shit simple Things. Um. Shakes Apart, I get like the, the the power pop, kind of more of like a fountains away and kind of like a uh almost kinda of like an um almost kind of like a, like a like a like an alt country kind of a kind of a tinge to it too. Yeah, um, that's I was like closer
2: trying. to refreshments as far as like
4: Yeah. I always yep.
2: view them as like sort of sort of leaning into the gray area of country alt country. But yeah, it was kind of a big influence of. on me. I I listened to them uh, all through my childhood. My dad's a yeah. big fan of
0: the Refreshments, so yeah. That, and that, that was definitely that's the song that I heard the Refreshments out uh, from the most. And Space Truck is kind of noisy, kind of a fun, kind of a post emo, kind of a sound.
2: Yeah, that's and, another. It's uh, another Jason track.
0: Yeah, I definitely space like track. that one, too. I like how each of your albums has a, a space track. Yeah. You have space truck and space cowboy. I thought that was pretty cool.
3: Yeah, I think uh, that's that's where Jason comes in. I think he's trying to do this sort of like... Like the first introduction is the space cowboy who's a protagonist. And then space truck, you meet Brutus, the tow yard king, the antagonist. Nice. And it's like, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a some sort of long-form lore... Surrounding that, I mean, so like every
0: album will have like a, 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 a part of the story, and then you'll end up having the whole story throughout the throughout whatever however many albums you guys made, kind of a thing. Yeah,
2: I mean that that would be cool. That'd that be is, cool if he if he puts that together. I just is, you know he's he's gonna be the the brains behind the the storylines. I mean, I actually have his original um, his original lyrics hanging on my wall for that song. <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, and there's a there's lot a of lyrics more words. to
2: that song. <laughs> and they and like 90% of them got cut and it's only like a 50 50 second song. Yeah. <laughs> there's many other verses to that song that are hanging up on my wall.
0: <laughs> and uh shit simple things is just a, a popular kind of a punk song, like a like a great kind of a closer. Um and like I said, uh, you guys packed five songs short burst but there's not a track I don't like on it. And and I, um, for it to be, you know, just discovering your band, um, going not only checking out Victory Lap, but also going back and checking out Space Man. Um, it was like, it's like one of those things just randomly start conversating with somebody and next thing you know, you, you find an incredible band. And I feel like TV Thief, like you guys are um, a really strong band.
4: Right. thank you Yeah,
2: thank you i appreciate that
4: you're welcome i definitely
2: think we 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 do a better i well it's a shame that we've only done two live shows we definitely got to do more but i think live is where it's at uh, for that course, i think yeah. i think that we keep a lot of the energy in the recordings but i don't know we we multi-track it so it's never i just don't have the space to do everybody at the same time so
0: hmm mm-hmm yeah it just makes sense to kind of do it individually and kind of kind of you know layer it as you go,
2: yeah, yeah, I mean that so that will always lose some energy in it, but I think there's still energy left in those tracks, and then the live performance, I think really really sells it
3: awesome, awesome, especially with the uh, d c from braceface uh, played drums with us most recently, and I knew like. The first time we had a rehearsal with him and he started playing the drums, I was like, yeah, man, like there's a, he's a huge part of the reason Braceface is so fucking good. And just like mm-hmm. him playing those songs, I was like, God, it sounds so good with DC on those drums. Good.
0: That's awesome. I'm I'm happy to hear that, that you have somebody that you could go to that, that, that can, that can play with the kind of energy that you guys are trying to put through in your live, live, uh, live experience.
2: Yeah, I think I think that last show was like a was like a super group because we had <laughs> we had John from Stillbones. another local band in the area, and he's a, a great guitarist. So,
3: yeah, I mean, like, for, formerly him, Woodbine Hotline.
2: Yeah, uh, he was in Sister City too, right?
3: Yeah, wow. that's yeah. John and I were in Sister City together. Yeah, okay, cool. Because you guys originally had a
0: second guitarist, Amelia, right? Yep. And that she went away to
3: go to college. Yeah, she's in art school. Uh, she and I play in another band together. She just got uh, real busy with a bunch of things. And like, you know, kind of like Nick alluded to earlier, TV Thief. I mean, we finished those recordings in January. And then he sent them to Jason however long ago. I think there was just like these long gaps where she was like, well, you know, art school recording with another band like you yeah. know now
0: that now that the the, the the it's still open for her to come back and play with you guys of course it sounds like you guys are all still like on good terms and stuff
2: yeah yeah,
0: yeah that's I, awesome I, yeah and i and and i'll start with i'll start with you first joe um you're you're a bass player and uh i'd like to know um how you got into the how you got into your scene and uh who was kind of influencing you as you were learning how to how to play bass and and then getting into play the instrument
3: so My oldest brother is a bass player as well. He mostly plays jazz, and he plays the upright bass, uh, not the electric as much. But, you know, I always, like, looked up to him, and the fact that he played bass made me think the bass was cool. Um, You know, he likes the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine. So I I gravitated to that stuff a little bit, but it was really, you know, and I heard Nirvana and and Green Day – Mike Durnt, uh from Green Day was definitely, like, when I heard him playing bass on songs like Long View and, and 86 and uh, Stewart and the Avenue, stuff like that, I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. That kind of walking bass line kind of a thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he would do, like, these, like, really cool bass fills that, like, I don't know, I had this formula when I was a kid that, like, really good punk rock was super simple guitar playing with pretty impressive like drums and bass underneath it Mm -hmm. uh you know you think like bands like rancid with matt freeman or blink 182 with guys like travis barker that was like the formula i came up with in my head was like oh if i get like real rock solid at bass then i can find guitar players that suck and it'll be fine yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs)
0: So, um, when did you when did you first get involved with the local Baltimore scene? Like, uh, were, were you going out to shows at a pretty young age, and and what kind of bands were like getting influenced by?
3: Uh, so, I, I was kind of late to like the whole like DIY underground thing. I would all of my first shows in Baltimore were like less than Jake, Anti Flag, Real Big Fish, Streetlight Manifesto, a lot of ska bands. As I'm saying it out loud. but but, you know like Mm -hmm. flag and and streetlight manifesto are not like underground underground bands i'm going to like you know paying 35 bucks to see like sold out shows or whatever yeah the first time i was just out and about with like my roommates i moved to the city when i was like 19 or 20 moved from like carroll county like farmland maryland into baltimore city proper oh okay, and uh was out and about with my roommates at Artscape, which is like this big cross city art festival in Baltimore. And there was this band Canker Blossom playing on an outdoor stage and they sounded like green day, but they were, uh, so young, like younger than me, like probably 17 or 18 at the time. Uh, they kind of sounded like green day. The lead singer, Alicia had this like, crazy powerful operatic voice like she was really growling and uh the drummer jonah played so insanely fast but their songs were like like harmonically simple Like reminded me like green day or the ramones just like crazy crazy powerful and so i just anything canker blossom did i would do i would go to that so i was like oh canker blossoms playing at the depot or at the sidebar so i'd go see canker blossom and that's when i met like the guys in brace face and then, uh some friends took me to see like a Kill Lincoln show. Okay. And, yeah. Awesome. Um now what what about what about
0: you, Nick? Um how did you get into playing drums? Uh, what were your early influences and uh how did you find yourself involved with the local scene?
2: So, uh playing drums, so my dad played drums and I I started um I can remember when I was like very young that he had taken like his drum set we had like this little crawl space under the house and he had his drums in there and he like pulled them out and set them up for like the first time in a few years and I was like very little I don't know I'd have to ask my mom when you know how old I was when that happened but it was very young and I just remember being like oh yeah like that is that is definitely what I want to do and it progressed even further from that because when I went to elementary school, uh, all I wanted to do was play drums and they were like, well, you got to play the recorder. And I was like, this sucks. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so then the year after that, they were like, okay, you can, you can pick an instrument. And I was like, well, what are my, what are the options for drums? And they were like, you could play a snare drum or bass drum. Cause it was like a, orchestra kind of thing and i was like well i'm like well bass drums like lame like you only hit it like once every you know couple measures or whatever because it's elementary school orchestra
4: yeah i'm like all right well i'm
2: playing (laughs) snare drum then and then um you know i always i complained about that because i wanted to play drum set and then i go to middle school and there was like this i don't know i i think it It worked out very well because I joined band and I'm like, well, you know, I definitely want to join band. I don't want to do whatever the other option is. And I want to play drum set. And they had like this orchestra thing. And they were like, okay, there's one spot for someone to play drum set and like nobody else seemed like they cared. But I was like, Oh, I want to play drum set. And the teacher, I don't know if it was like on purpose to like get exposure to other things. But she was like, you got to play xylophone. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. So then I remember there was one time where uh, we go around the room and she's like, she's like, all right, we're going to do scales. And like, I already hated it. So she's like, all right, you got to play like your scales on like the xylophone. And I was like, I don't know any scales. And she was like, well, you have to practice. And I was like, how am I supposed to practice freaking xylophone and she was like well it's the same keys as a piano and i was like i don't have a piano like what (laughs) what do you think this is and uh after that i was like i was just so frustrated with it i was like i just went up to her after class and i was like i'm done i'm not i'm not doing this anymore and i went home and my mom was like all right well we'll like we'll do like private lessons for drum set instead I was and then after that I took private lessons for like three years uh with a guy named uh Chuck Pharrell and he was amazing. Awesome. And and it was like yeah, he's he was the teacher that made everything click for for rhythm. And I didn't even start I didn't start doing anything with like guitar or anything else but drums until college. Mm. I was just all drums and I did some vocal stuff in high school, but not, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't really good at it until, until late college even.
0: No, why do you think that, no, why do you think that, that, that teacher was so hard on you? I mean, you're, you're learning how to play a percussion instrument, but it was almost like she was pushing you into like, other avenues did she have like other people in mind for the for the drums and just kind of kept pushing you off the side
2: yeah so that my theory is that she because i was so psyched about one thing i'm giving the benefit of the doubt in saying that she wanted to be like okay we'll try this first and then like move around but i was like completely impatient about it like i did not want to play xylophone and and there's no there's no like practicing xylophone at home. I'm not doing that. So It's not
0: like you would tell it wouldn't it, it, it's funny to me because it's not like you tell like somebody who wants to learn clarinet when you got to try trumpet first.
2: Yeah. No, I I know you. what I mean. Yeah. Like
0: that's so odd.
2: Yeah. But she I will never forget that because she was like I was like and the guy that ended up playing the drum set in the orchestra, he was like, "Yeah, I don't even really care."
4: and it was like it just
2: made it that much worse i was like this guy didn't even care if he's playing drum set and i was that's like all i wanted to do
0: oh that's so shitty but (laughs) yeah so well it
2: worked out great because there's no way i would have ever learned as much doing that as i would have in private lessons and and maybe i would have eventually sought after both Mm -hmm. but it was so immediate it was like sixth grade is like starting drum set lessons and i i took it Probably, I probably did like three years of like directed Mm -hmm. drum set lessons.
0: And that's probably what you needed to be successful. I think so.
2: Yeah, everything. I just can't imagine that I would have learned. I wouldn't have learned what I learned from Chuck in school band. So, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe it's possible I would have done both at some point. But, you know. Every moment spent learning drums from Chuck was well worth it. Nice. And way better than anything in a school band. So it all worked out. Awesome. And I now think do- and my my I was gonna go into the scene portion. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, just rolled right through it. <laughs> um, my introduction to it, uh, I think the first time I ever played at the sidebar, I was like. 14. It was not with a punk band. It was with like more of like a jam band, but I wasn't really in the scene at that point. I think what really got me into the scene was just kind of, I had started a band that was basically just me. Um, This would have been, I guess when I was going, it was when I was going to Towson because that's when I first started learning trying to teach myself guitar and I started writing songs for a project that I called Jack Motel and I played a show in Carroll County, met a bunch of people and then, yeah, that would be this, that would be how the Flabbercasters got started. And then yeah, meeting, yeah, meeting meeting Ryan would have been how I met everybody in the scene. But it's funny because in uh you know, Joe was talking about Canker Blossom in my senior year I was working for a a hip hop studio called the Lineup Room. Mm-hmm. And he the owner Brandon who's like he's a great guy. Um he's definitely a genius but in in both marketing and, and engineering. But he was telling me, he was like, you know, you gotta go out to local shows and get because he knew that I was into like rock and, and punk and he didn't have any of that in his studio and he wanted to he wanted to try and record some of that stuff. So he was mm-hmm. like, You gotta go out and find local bands, like go to shows and put up flyers and hand out stickers and stuff. And that was that was when I started hearing about Kanker Blossom and we were trying to get we were trying to get them to record. It never happened, but never happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but that's how I started going to those shows even before that would have been before I knew Joe. So, you know, I was around, I just, you know, I would go to like charm city art space whenever there were shows that came up, he would just, he would give me money to pay for the ticket. And he was like, you can bring a friend with you. And we would just go to shows and like, try and talk to the bands and tell them about the recording studio i think we did a lot more we did a lot more going to the shows than we did promoting the (laughs) the studio i
4: don't
2: really remember talking to that many bands for how many shows we went to but
0: you probably went in and just got sucked into that world i mean you were being exposed to 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 the to the city's underground scene and you yeah. know, you're you're still young enough that you, you were appreciating it. And
3: oh I loved and, it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wait, that Nick,
3: so would that be when you found about scissor kicks?
2: Uh that would be after that.
3: Scissor uh, okay. kicks would
2: be after that. <laughs> yeah. I wish we found out about scissor kicks but when I was working at a studio. They're not local though. I don't think they're I don't think they're from here.
3: Oh, uh, they just happened to break up in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so.
2: Yeah, that's Nothing. my that, that was my favorite band story. I don't know if you if you uh, care for me to tell it, but
3: oh, feel free, man. Feel oh, it's free. hilarious.
2: Yeah, so we went to God. Was that at Charm
3: City Art Space? I believe so. I, I think wasn't it was, there, but I remember you telling me about it.
2: Yeah, I think it was Charm City Art Space. There was this band and. Uh... They were, I thought that they were great. And their music, I looked them up on Bandcamp. I ended up buying their EP and I bought a shirt from them and I haven't seen it in a little while. I hope I still have it, but it's just a simple like printed shirt. I think they were on a tour and I guess, you know, cause that's how, that's what happens on tour. If you're, you know, if you tour for too long and, and you have a, you know an unstable relationship i guess oh <laughs> your, absolutely i've been I've played the
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's like you know it's tough living in a van with somebody for a month or something and you know they were like clearly at wit's end with each other and they were like arguing on stage like while they were playing the show and oh, wow. they're like you know like they're not really you know it was kind of awkward but i thought it was hilarious it was like it was like very clearly not a bit like they were very clearly like upset with each other. Yeah. And uh they were like Yeah, he was like we have a couple more. I think he said he had a couple more dates and he was like this is our last one like we're going home. We're not doing <laughs>
4: the rest of it. Oh
0: wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. So I had to buy a shirt from them cuz I was like, oh no, these guys aren't coming around again.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea where they were
2: from. I don't remember. I, you know, they were on Bandcamp. I could probably find it.
0: I'm gonna have to look them up. They're called Scissor Kicks. Yeah, I'll check them out after after we're done talking. I'll go check them out.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I just, I love that stuff. I think that, I mean, it sucks for them. But oh, I've
0: seen a lot of bands break up or or damn near break up. You know, during sets. I mean, shit. I almost had one of my bands break up mid set. And it was, but it didn't even have anything to do with us as a band. It was like shit going on around us. Like the evening was really fucking weird. Like, so it was just like one of those things where like the environment kind of made everybody in a shitty mood. Yeah. And it's like every you're just like so every little thing is just kind of fucking pisses you off, and you're just snapping at each other. And then you then you realize after the show, oh wait, this isn't this isn't <laughs> us, but you know. <laughs> Or you get into or you're practicing and somebody pisses you off in middle of practice. And I, Oh yeah, I've, I've played a number of bands. So I completely know what that's kind of like teetering on the edge. Couldn't feel like.
2: Yeah. I I, <laughs> so in, I think my, so high school into probably my sophomore year of college, uh, I was in a band playing drums uh, with a band called playtime revenue. Okay. And, we went on like this short tour and I had an absolute blast, but like um, it was like Shane and Aaron were just, you know, it, it's it, it's that whole like you're in a van with somebody for like a week straight and, <laughs> and all those little things are just annoying.
4: Oh, yes. He just
2: like he just like lost it one day in a gas station.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was like we're done, we're going back. Yeah, home. no,
2: I know. I, I thought it was funny. We finished everything. Yeah, we did the whole thing and came okay. back. I just I thought it was hilarious. I didn't have any I don't have any of those problems, but
0: I don't some know if anybody has those road. problems
2: with me, but I don't have those problems with anybody else.
0: <laughs> you know, some people are built from the road and some people just they don't realize they're not built for the road until they go out on the road.
2: Yeah, they are definitely some people that are not. Ready for that.
1: I am here and you are there and if we get together.
0: So how did how did TV I mean it seems like everybody in the band has played with different bands and other projects beforehand but um how did you guys all come together to form T V Thief
3: well Flabbercasters really um we uh, at least the original lineup of TV Thief was all in Flabbercasters together. Oh okay Which, Nick, I don't know how you met Ryan, but Ryan basically met Nick and Jason separately and then introduced Amy and I to the two of them because we all went to, like, high school together. So, I don't know how Ryan – Nick, I don't know how you met those guys. Yeah, I guess
2: guess that's how you have to start the story is, like – because that's how I met all these guys. Like, I didn't know – I didn't know Jason – and I didn't know um, Joe and Amelia, but it was like uh, I, met, I met Ryan at that show where I was playing as Jack Motel okay. and he was playing in another band and we just like ended up randomly talking and then he was like, hey, you should come over and jam and he had invited Jason over to jam as well, but I didn't know Jason at the time and then, so I get over there. Ryan's already playing drums, and Jason's playing guitar, so i I was like, "Oh, well, the only thing that's left is is bass, so I just played bass when we were like screwing around, jamming.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know anything about bass or anything about music theory, but I don't know. we got through it, and then <laughs> and then we like jokingly. I mean, I guess we weren't joking because we did it, but um, there was a show coming up at Baltimore Soundstage for Diarrhea Planet, and we had listened to their song, Ghost with a Boner, and we were like, we could write simple music like that, (laughs) and then, like, that's what we did. We sat down and wrote, like, four songs, and just, like, one after the other, and Then we were like, oh, well, we're going to go to this show anyway. There's only three bands on the bill. We should ask them if we can play. And we were like, I was like, all right, whatever. You know, ask them. They're going to say no because we don't have any material. and We we haven't released anything. We've never played a show. So then um, he texts me and he's like, oh, like, we're going to play the show. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, and he's like, they (laughs) – They like, we sent them, I I don't know what we sent them. I do not even know that we had, we may have had like phone recordings maybe, but we send them that and they were like, yeah, play the show. And then we were kind of like, oh shit. Like, you know, we only have, we only have four songs. So it's like, you know, you're going to open a show with four, you know, like bare, like sub two minute songs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't that whole thing was funny cuz we were like we 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 go to play the show and we weren't sure we hadn't heard from Jason and Ryan asked me if I had heard from Jason. I was like I don't know Jason. I just met Jason the other day. Like you know, we we're talking about this show. It's like I haven't heard from him. I don't even know that guy. And so then we were kind of panicking cuz we were like, well, you know, cuz I can't play the guitar parts and he can't play the guitar parts. I mean, maybe we could figure it out, but we were like getting a crunch time. So we were like, we need to, he was like, ah, oh, I no, know, I know some people that we can call. So then it's just, he calls up Joe and Amelia. And I don't know, um, did we even do a practice? I don't even uh, remember.
3: I think I might've met up with you to go over the songs once, but no, I met Jason at soundstage.
2: Yeah. So that's the, that's really the end of this story is that we never heard from Jason the whole time. We thought he wasn't going to be there because he never responded to anything.
4: Mm. So then
2: we go there, and he's there, like setting up his stuff. They're like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> now we have three guitar three. players <laughs> because we didn't know that he was going to be there. And then That's so funny. they gave us these tickets for Soundstage to sell pre-sale, but they told us that we were playing. The show was on a Friday, and they told us on Tuesday that we were playing the show. So, oh, wow. So we were standing outside before people got to the door to sell them our pre-sale tickets.
0: Oh, no! <laughs> and uh, then the,
2: the, there was like a woman that, that works at soundstage. She came up to me and she was like, you guys have to get on stage. Like we're going to cut your set time if you don't get out there. And I was like, okay, like, you know thinking in my head like I, who cares we have four songs like <laughs> yeah <laughs> cut, he could take 15 minutes off or a 30 minute set and we'll still be under that so <laughs> it doesn't really matter but yeah that was my first time at yeah maybe there was a practice but yeah that's how i met joe amelia and, and jason
0: oh wow that's crazy now that uh, was with was the flabbergasters
2: Flabbercasters, yeah. Flabbercasters, yeah. Okay. Flabbercasters, okay, awesome. It was like a wizard-themed punk band.
0: I like that. I dig the name, man. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm gonna have to look up. i have to look you guys up. Yeah, that was what I was referencing when we were talking about studio time because we would pay for studio time, and we. I mean, the. the I have no problem with the studio. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with with, um, Harbor Red Studios.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just that we didn't have really any money, so we would jam, you know, fourteen songs into a weekend, and you know they turned out pretty good for what they were. But I just you know what, I always wish that we had more time to go and back you, and visit them.
0: And you know what you know what's cool too is now that like technology for recording is becoming cheaper and cheaper. It almost like if you if you kind of know what you want your band to sound like, you don't necessarily have to go into the studio to replicate it. You could do it yourself. You know what I mean? As long as you yeah, you're happy with how it sounds. I mean, right. really, if you talk to a, a, most punk bands, the releases that you guys put out is just stuff you can sell because you're really you're really enjoying playing live, anyways. So your true sound is really going to come through the live recordings as opposed to the studio recording anyways.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think that the the live sound is just, you know, the energy of a live performance is always going to be the recording. Mm-hmm. And the recording for me was like, you know, me recording it in my basement, it's going to be good enough for people to get the point. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have something to kind of work with and put out. You know, in the way that, in the way that, you know, you could you could go on Bandcamp and you listen to it. Like if you've never heard of this band before, you go listen to something, and it it does, it serves that purpose perfectly fine. And for the the fact that I'm using Cakewalk, which is a free program, and as many free VST plugins as I can find
4: mm-hmm.
2: that do the job. You know, it's like, yeah, you have a cost of microphones, and you know, I have a preamp, but as compare, i mean it's more than paid for itself if you were to compare that to studio time mm-hmm. we just spent mm-hmm. we just spent tons of money on studio time
0: yeah and like i said the 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 ep sounds incredible and and i would have thought you recorded in a in a, in a, in a regular studio you know paying it you know, spending two hundred dollars an hour you know what i mean Like, yeah it, i gotta i gotta good. up my
2: rates <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: at least tell the other guys to bring
2: you beer you know I mean, <laughs> oh they, they yeah they do that yeah <laughs> whether it's for them or for me i don't know i'm not really sure but <laughs> everybody's
0: drinking right <laughs> yeah
3: i think yeah when we were recording the second ep or maybe it was when we were doing the Batty record but when we were recording it next last year i remember bringing a, a bottle of whiskey over to this house and you know we were going over there two times a week to record and I don't know how much of that whiskey Nick had. I feel like I definitely drank most of it. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's the thing that I kind of do with the basement is like I'll record like friends that have bands and like I like I recorded Batty because it's it's Joe and Amelia's band. So,
4: oh, okay, I've heard of
2: Batty, OK, you know, and then I have my friend. I have a friend, Jeff, who's in a band called Phantom Derby. Oh, okay, And they're, they're like kind of getting off the ground and they want to do some recordings and, you know, they're, they're not at a point, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Cause I don't think they're at a point where they're going to like go pay for a lot of studio time and hash that stuff out. I think they're, you know, recording in this scenario and they'll, they'll totally agree. It's just a better, it's just a better way to do it. It's zero stress. And, you know, you can really get something that you like. And if you don't get it, then, you know, I mean, they come over for a weekend. If they don't get it in a weekend, the files are still here. I mean, you could revisit it a year from now if you want. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Not going anywhere. So.
0: And sometimes it like, like whether or not you have a studio or a label or whatever, sometimes just doing stuff to be nice is, an, is the big enough reward. You know, you get a name not only for your band, but then you get a name for, recording these albums. And next thing you know, you may stumble into other bands hearing about you liking the recordings. And then you may you may actually start getting paid from bands who want to get recorded by you.
2: Yeah, I I would love that. I mean that hasn't happened yet, but I would love that. I mean I it's it's one of those things and I think we I mentioned earlier about working for the studio. And again, you know like lineup room is great. Brandon is Mm -hmm. great. Everything about that was awesome. That was the perfect place to be uh at the time and i just remember him and i because we it was a really small label as in the owner brandon is like mixing these these records so like Mm -hmm. he owns the studio he's doing everything himself i was in there as like an intern and we're Mm -hmm. like i'm like setting up mics and you know we get like people in and you know most of the time it was like people that you know, sometimes you'd get these people in, and I, I guess you know they're they're customers because you're they're paying you. So then they'd have these insane ideas as to what they want, and it would sound horrible. And
3: mm-hmm. they would be like,
2: "Oh yeah, this is it." So what I wanted to prevent against is like I don't want people to come into the basement and tell me how to mix the record. You know, like I'll I'll take some, you know, some pointers if it's something that's that's like killing you you know, like mm-hmm, something that's mm-hmm. destroying your sound. I just don't think I, I, I go for a lot more authentic and there's people mm-hmm. that just want like, you know, extra stuff or like, you know, when we were in, when we were in the lineup room that I remember, I will never forget a guy came in with um, like a, a USB stick of, of just MP3 beats. And he was like, you got to make this sound bigger. And we were like, there's nothing to it. Like you can't make it sound bigger than, like it's an mp3 so you know
4: mm-hmm.
2: we're either we're either really dissecting it and and triggering like 808s and bass drums to it mm-hmm. which is like a huge amount of work so you know it's stuff like that so that was kind of the inspiration behind I'd rather record my friends for free and be able to be like you know cuz that then I still enjoy it
4: mm-hmm. you know it doesn't become a yeah. job
0: yeah
2: when I'm like, yeah, I get to, you know, that like they're not telling me how to set up the mics when they come in there. <laughs> you know,
0: I'm yeah, setting exactly.
2: the mics the way that I think it sounds good. And, you know, and Jeff comes over to record with Phantom Derby, uses my amp cab. So it's like, you know,
4: <laughs> you
2: get full control over it. And I like doing that. That's the only thing that makes me hesitant to charge for it. But I would love to, obviously, I would love to do that.
0: You, know, you so, never
2: know. You never know yeah. when you make connections along the way. Like I...
0: You know, and I, I started my label, uh, the little label that I co-owned last year, and it's like, you, you, when, when you do something like that, not only do you end up meeting promoters, you end up meeting, of course, the bands that you're gonna put out, but then you also meet up with people who do recording studios, and the next thing you know, you you start to navigate when like you start to like navigate and and and, and connect with other small businesses too that you're all kind of like somehow like you become almost like a, a collective especially if you're if you're trying to help the local scene so like you know play you go into venues playing shows recording bands you know next thing you know you're you're gonna start going you know, garnering a reputation because the stuff that you're recording is good quality
2: uh, yeah I, w- I would love to have a i would love to have the problem of of just like you know telling people oh sorry i can't I would i'm love too to, backed but. up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's what that was part of what i was saying about brandon being a genius is he he charged like these absurdly low rates for studio time and we were just constantly booked i mm-hmm. mean we would get people in there we had no shortage of people coming in there and people would come in with you know stuff that they hadn't finished yet because the studio time was so cheap like he would run these summer sales and it would be like twenty dollars an hour for studio time
0: (laughs) oh wow holy shit it would
2: be like it would be like book a minimum of four hours and it would be like 20 bucks and we would be like he ended up i mean he would have to raise it because he didn't like he didn't have any time left we would be like yeah i remember being an intern and being like oh i've been here for like 12 hours (laughs) Mm -hmm. we've just been client after client coming in yeah but i really liked that concept because it was like it made it all accessible Mm-hmm. Where, you know, a lot of times when you go to studio time, it's like, yeah, you're going to, you get a result. And that result is probably really good in those studios where you've paid a lot of money. But what I've always said, and, and one of the things that Brandon and I absolutely saw eye to eye about was, you know, you know, most of these people, they're going to put out this track. It's going to go up on Spotify. It's going to mm-hmm. get crushed in post-processing and you're never going to hear the full fidelity track.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
2: And you know, it's kind of like yeah. You could have something that's like all all recorded on tape, put right to vinyl and I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for that, but I mean, you could do all that and it's going to sound great. But is anyone going to hear it like that? Or are they going to listen to it in their ear in their earbuds and you know, across mm. Spotify medium quality over data connection. Yeah. You know, like, I think that I, that's the thing about the, the recordings that I'm doing in the basement with like TV thief and, and all the bands really is like, yeah, there's like, there's lossless wave files that you get. I mean, it's a digital recording and it's, you know, it's not going to be incredible, but you know, the price is right. And it's going to get the job done. Yeah. Cause people are going to be able to hear it and they're going to be able to hear all the instruments. It's not like a true, you know, Garage recording, I guess, or just recording on your iPhone in the middle of the room. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Got an appreciation.
0: any plans of releasing your stuff on physical or is, is your idea just to stay releasing stuff digitally?
2: I, I don't know of any plans that we have to release physical. Jason is big on physical media. And I, again, I, I love physical media. It's great. It's just for me, when I, when I think of like, like I go to a show, I, I almost think to myself, like a band could make, you know, flyers or a thing like uh, we were joking around, Joe and I were joking around about making like TV thief lighters. And, you know, you could have like a a custom printed lighter that you sell that has your QR code on the back for your album. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't even, I mean, I have a CD player in my car, but I can't even remember the last time I listened to a CD. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I used to, I, we, we've all been there. We've all burned CDs for our band uh, with the demos on it and, you know, gave them out or sold them for real cheap at a show. And that stuff is great. I just, it was hard for me to remember the last time I took a local band's CD unless I put it right in the CD player when I left the show. It's yeah, like I lost it. And I don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I never found it again or whatever it was, even if I liked them. Yeah. Because like,
0: yeah. the, the, like when I started my record label, of course, the, the big thing is, you gotta sell vinyl. You gotta sell vinyl. Well, then I started pricing vinyl and was like, no. And I was like, what if I do CDs? Are CDs still a thing?
2: Yeah. And, so we, you know, at, at one some point, they did, Yeah. No. I. And there's, there's definitely, there's a type of band that will have the vinyl and it will work. Mm-hmm. And there's a type of band that will have the physical media and people will love the physical media. I don't think TV Thief is that band where someone's going to come in and be like, I want to hear a lossless version of that album you recorded in your basement. It's like, you know, I don't know (laughs) what's the, (laughs) what's the, you know, and we did with Flabbercasters, we did cassette tapes because they were cheap and it was like almost a novelty item. You know, it's like, Oh, they have cassettes and it's like, you know, that's cool. That stuff I think is cool because it's, it's different. I mean, maybe it's not different, but I don't know. So, There's just something else so, to it besides just having a CD. And we did CDs for Flabbercasters too, but I, ha- I still have a ton of them. So like they didn't – you know, we, we, we put all the money into the physical media and it's like, you know, oh, you got to sell them for this price. You got to sell this many of them. And it's like, you know, I just wanted to eliminate all that stress of, you know, now we've recorded the album for nothing in my basement. We've mm-hmm. put it up online. If somebody buys it, we're immediately in the black. It's like <laughs> you don't have to
0: spend money to immediately,
2: make immediately, yeah. So if we put it up there for cheap and we make it really accessible, like oh, you know, here, here's the oh, I'll send you the file. You know, if if somebody's really pressed about it, but well.
3: I do have to admit uh, a minor advantage to having at least some physical media, uh, like Nick said with Flabbercasters, we had those uh, the tapes. We played a show with um, Andrew Jackson Jihad at Soundstage one time, and I was like, we were talking to them, seeing if they like wanted a CD or something. We were like, yeah, you guys probably get a million CDs at every city you go to, and they were like, actually, we don't have a CD player in our car or in our van. They're like, we only have a tape deck, and I was like, oh my, oh my god, we actually have like five. tapes. (laughs) Tapes, <laughs> no I gave shit. Tape. So there's a good possibility that an Andrew Jackson Jihad or AJJ is out there rolling around with a flabbercasters tape. <laughs> oh, that's fucking in their cool. in their tour van, yeah.
0: Their tour van from 1984, <laughs> right? <laughs> with this fucking tape deck.
3: So there's that small part of me that's always like, yeah, Nick is right. I don't want to go through the whole like, you know, manufacturing a like, you know get 500 CDs or whatever, and then you just have this box of 430 CDs sitting in your house for 10 years. Yeah, because
2: the only way to make it worth it per disc is if you buy something in bulk. I mean, I I remember looking into it before, and it was like, you know, you could go as low as 250, like 250 CDs of of your band's music with the printed label, and we would even do, like, just paper sleeves instead of jewel cases or, like, whatever you can Mm -hmm. save money on and then it's like you never get rid of all of them it seems like you you always have them left over and there's and i'm not i'm definitely not opposed to physical media at all it's just that for a band like tv thief i don't i mean definitely not vinyl for tv thief because it's just it's it's expensive and that that sort of return on your investment for it it's is so low uh, yeah i don't i mean we have that one scenario with ajj's tour van and the and the cassette but yeah. i couldn't tell you where all the other cassettes went
4: <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> yeah, no. you know what with the label that i run it's it's we do short you know we do you know, like, either, like, 50 or 100 copies, like, we're not, because we you always have, if, if if they sell quick and you can make a second one, great, you know, you already have the funds to do that, but yeah, honestly, like, you have to stay, you have to stay short run if you do do physical copies, yeah, and luckily I mean, enough, I found a pretty good, I found a pretty good place that, you know, it's, it's, I don't have to, I don't have to bury myself in debt to be able to do it.
3: Yeah, with my other band, we did do um, a vinyl release for the record that Nick recorded. And we did a, a real small order. I think we only had 50 of them made or 70 of them made. Yeah. And, I, I mean, we kind of got lucky. I used one of those COVID checks. Remember, they sent us like $1,400. They said they were going to send us like 2000 and they sent us 1400 or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, I used that, that $1,400 that the government sent and spent... You know, thirteen seventy-five of it getting 50 vinyl printed and then basically just sold them at a loss because I was like, I think to make my money back I was going to have to sell them for 30 or something like that. Isn't that fucking crazy, dude? I was, like, I was like, who wants to buy a $30 record from a band they've never heard of? I'll mm-hmm. just sell them for like $20 or like some people I sold them for $10 when we were on tour I just started handing them out to people like, I was like, yeah Except that like that one thing was lucky and it was a loss and I just have to live with the fact that like oh it's cool AJJ has our cassette or like you know there's that group of kids in Chattanooga who all have a copy of our record like Mm -hmm. there's not yeah there's not really doesn't seem to be like a, a financial incentive to it if you know if you can get lucky with it it's like a cool thing to do but oh yeah like
0: we like we sell that. I think the most expensive thing that we put out is $10 and it's a full length the other stuff we were selling for you know, you know, $5 comp, $7 EP, you know what I mean? Just, a, you know, we, just hoping you make your money back so you can then, you know, put the money that you make back into the label and just keep it afloat, you know? Because that's my main thing is just to keep the label going and try yeah. not to fucking eat as much money as I can, you know, or got my wife breathing down my neck and let me shit, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's just about keeping people the label afloat and and plus you know whether or not people like every release we put out we put out like a digital code too so like if you just want to have the cd and throw it on your shelf then that's fine too you have the music anyways so that's the way i kind of look at it like that is i i know i know it's i know what physical releases aren't for everybody i just i don't know i come i think i come from that place of just like having physically something in my hand it's like, that's what kind of feels to me. Like when you, when you get that in your hand, it's like, Oh, that's fucking awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean that, I don't think that'll ever go away. It's just that the, you just have to, I, I just feel like I have to balance it between, you know, will they, will they have it in their hand if I'm selling a vinyl record for $30 or, you know, so, I mean, we have the, we have the stuff up on Bandcamp, and it's like, you know, $5 or more. I remember asking somebody if we could put it up for pay what you want because I really like that model.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I just think that it it just generates more volume. And I like your And for your something idea. like for something that I'm recording in my basement. I'm I'm sure that we'll end up doing that for the next one.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked yeah. your idea too. Your idea, or like you mentioned earlier, about doing like a lighter that has the QR code on it. Yeah. That's kind of fucking cool. That's just that's something to like,
2: you know, because then you if if you're not going to make physical media, you're going to make something like, you know, or something even if it's gimmicky. Fucking you know, you beer get something to, or something. Yeah. Well, we did beer koozies for um for Flabbercasters and they were great. I I thought that they were awesome. And it's one of those things where like if you've never heard of this band and somebody hands you on at a party or something, and it's got a QR code on the back and it's like. For as long as a as a koozie QR code is going to last. but <laughs>
4: There's
2: also a narrow window for that. But even the name, yeah. if they can still make out what the name is, then.
0: Yeah, you know, it's or like the back like that, of a sticker a... or something like that. Like something that like they walk away with, not only something cool that's specific for them, but then they walk away with the music too. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I've always wanted to do. Um, there was a band called You, Me, and Everyone We Know and okay. yeah. i listened to them in college and i went to a show at ramshead they were playing and i i got a i got a free poster from them and it was like it looked like they printed it in their house but it was still like i got the free poster from them and the singer signed it so it was one of those things where it's like you know that to me was better than the i mean i bought their physical C D and I'm not sure I know where it is. I mean, I I think I might know where it is, but you know, the poster was immediately hung up on my wall. And then from Mm -hmm. that, in the dorm room, me hanging a poster on my wall, my friend was like, What band is that? I was like, Oh, I'll show you. And then he looked him up and then he ended up being a big fan. I ended up giving him the poster.
4: Oh, he became a big fan of that of that
2: band. (laughs) And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, the physical media is cool and Physical things are cool. I just, I would, I almost want to think outside the box as far as like, I'd rather have a table of posters and lighters than a table of CDs and tapes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I like, that's why I went back to that. I was like, I really like that idea. That's an interesting way about going about getting your music out there. You know, almost kind of using (laughs) it as like another medium is, you know, to get that music across. It's
4: cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a few of those ideas that, I don't know how many of them stuck. The other one was about playing uh, a lot of live shows. And this was even, this was even before COVID, I was saying, you know, space out the live shows, do more stuff online as like streaming, like, you know, stream a live show or stream a practice or something and, Mm -hmm. you know, put out more content, quote unquote. I just, I don't know. I, I think that, and I'm not good at that. So, it's hard for me to really say that that's the way to go.
0: It's easy, It's easier than you think, man.
2: Yeah, I just, you know, and I have, like a, I have a Patreon for my solo stuff uh, that I call Crash Motif, and I have a Patreon, and some of these songs that ended up on the TV Thief stuff were first debuted on the Patreon because I would just, I would write the song, I would do my guitar part, I'd play bass to it and play drums and sing over it, Mm-hmm. and it doesn't i don't think it holds a candle to what we we end up putting out with tv thief but they're just mm-hmm. kind of demos and then i just put them out there to the my three patrons and
4: and then it's people, one of those things where could... it's,
2: i i wonder to myself you know if a band was you know more online based and then you know they play a show and they play a show like once a month and the people that 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 really like them are like oh my god i gotta go to that show because i you know Mm-hmm. like they don't play every week i gotta play you know they just released this thing they're doing a big blowout you know and if it's at like a, a venue like a sidebar or something or a depot mm-hmm. then it's like you know you could in theory if you had a a, a fan base then you would be able to get like you know, the difference in the depot between 10 people and 30 people is not that many people, but it's a big difference in those little venues.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: And that's something – I just had that, that vision. I don't think I've ever really gone through with it. But it's stuff like that that I, I try to think of that's when okay. I'm like, you know, how could, how could this be a little better?
0: We live in the digital age. It's hard not to try to find ways to use it to your advantage. Yeah, (laughs) You know, it exists out there for a reason. You know, I've I've seen so many bands over the course of the pandemic just do things, you know, on a live stream. And some of them were great and some of them were awful, but they were doing it as a way to keep connected to their fans. And I think as long as you keep being connected to your fans, they're going to continue to follow you. So when you do play a live show, they're going to be there at the live show.
2: Well, I'll tell you, one of the bands that I thought really crushed the uh the the covid release thing was uh goldfinger
3: yeah yeah
2: you know they did those like uh they did some of those videos of their old songs and they sounded great and it was like they did they cut a video together of all of them in their own houses and put Mm -hmm. it all together i don't know how they actually did it but they made it seem like you know I'm, i'm certain that they're not all playing at the same time obviously but
0: yeah, well, there was a cover band that was doing it, too. They were covering, like, I forget the name of the band, but there were, like, members from other bands, and then they would just, like, cover songs, and every now and again, they would have, like, a guest star. It might be, like, the original singer or whatever, and they would come on and do it, and they would do that, like, split screen thing. They're all in their, like, living rooms or, like, whatever, wherever they play their music at. Yeah, and I put that through.
2: Yeah, I actually did that as well with one of my friends, Eric. <laughs> we did a couple covers and you know, we did like uh Hey Jealousy by the Gin Blossoms and oh, I love um, the Gin
0: Blossoms, man.
2: And uh Yeah, it's another one of those bands I listened to a ton when I was a kid with my dad and um mm-hmm. we did uh Bright Future and Sales by Fountains of Wayne. Oh, no. And I don't remember what else we did. It started with me just... Just me doing it and cutting together just a crappy video and putting it on Facebook. But it, I mean it would have been great if we had the original people.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, that would be to that would cut be in. Great. That would be that would be great for my
2: career.
4: <laughs> you know, the
2: first one I did was uh Song Two by Blur. So that would have been cool, you know. That would be a day want to burn in there. Yeah. <laughs> you want to jump in, you know, feel free. I'll I'll edit the video. Don't worry.
4: Yeah, I'll,
0: have your I'll, people I'll, contact my yeah, people, I'll, right? I'll mix
2: it. I'll mix it and put the video together and you don't have to pay me anything
0: <laughs> absolutely
2: <laughs> but uh nick
0: and and joe thank you guys so much for taking the time out to talk to me tonight man
2: yeah thanks yeah. for having us it was great I have,
0: i've had a really good time talking to you guys and it's been a lot of fun and i, I want to remind the listener to uh please check out your ep uh victory lap uh they can find that at uh tv thief on Bandcamp. As well as, as, well as um, your debut EP, Spaceman, that was released last year. Um, mouthful of birthday. Great opener, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any way... Is there any other way the, uh, that people can contact you?
3: Uh, TV Thief Music at uh, gmail.com. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Both just TV Thief. Uh yeah, I don't, I don't think TV Thief officially has a, a TikTok account. But uh, as Nick likes to point out, I'm semi-famous on TikTok. No, I'm kidding.
2: Yeah, it's Joe from TikTok.
0: Hey, Joe from yeah. TikTok. Reach out to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you two have a uh, a wonderful night, and I'll be in touch with you guys soon.
2: All right, thank you. Yeah, hey, thank thanks
0: you. again, guys. Yeah. Have a good one. Good night. You too. Good night. Mm, bye.